Well, someone told me recently that, Rick, you're preaching a lot on suffering. And it wasn't a criticism, but I said, notice, just notice, you've been preaching a lot on suffering. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One, because we are facing a pandemic. And I'm talking to people all the time who are suffering through either sickness or loneliness and frustration, uh, economic issues, job loss, or the fear of job loss, that there's a lot of folks who are going through a hard time. Uh, Another reason for that is that I chose Thessalonians, I think led by the Holy Spirit, but chose Thessalonians to preach through, and Thessalonians just talks a lot about suffering. Um, Of course, the Christian life is more than hard times, and I want to just be clear about that. There are the green pastures, and there are the dark valleys. Uh, There are the peaks, and there are the low times, and there's a time for everything under heaven, as it says in Ecclesiastes. But what we do in those valleys is so crucial. It shapes us, and it shapes how we go about enjoying the green pastures and the times of, of plenty. It's the times in those valleys that I think we grow the most. And uh, here's, the, here's the issue. Uh, it's in those hard times that we need to hear the most from his word. Um, how do we handle them? And how do we grow through them? We're in 2 Thessalonians, so we finished the first letter to the church in Thessalonica. And we're on to the second one. Um, and we're going to talk about how to have hope in hard times. How to have hope in hard times. So both of these letters, these are real actual letters, by the way, written by the Apostle Paul and his missionary team to the church in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago. They've been preserved and kept. We still today are studying them and recognize its application in our own lives. So I'm going to read the entire of the, entirety of the first chapter. It's only 12 verses long. And then we're going to walk through it together. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the, churches of the, Thessalon- the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God, for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also are suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at, among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we also pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good 
in every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And just to show you where we're going, uh, there is an outline, and it's very simple. Persevere as you grow in hard times. Verses 1 through 4, have ultimate hope in hard times, 5 through 10, and then pray that God is glorified in hard times in 11 through 12. So the first thing he says is persevere. Persevere. Paul begins his letter the same way that he typically begins any of his letters. You identify yourself, Paul, plus he adds his missionary team, uh, Silvanus and Timothy. Then you identify who you're writing to, to the Thessalonians, the church, the Christians there in the city of Thessalonica. And then he turns to thanks. By the way, he, I'm pretty sure every letter he gives, uh, he writes, has a thanksgiving after the greeting, except one, which is the book of the letter to the Galatians, because he's so frustrated with them. So we can read that some other time. But he gives his thanks, and what does he thanks? So he says here, it's right. It's right to be thankful to God for you guys. And he specifically thanks them for what you would expect to be, we saw this in the first letter, the triad, triad of faith, hope, and love, or faith, love, and and hope. He saves hope for the last because that's the emphasis. So he says specifically here, for their faith that is growing abundantly. For your love for everyone. But then he leaves out hope. And in place of the word hope, he says, I'm boasting about you to all the other churches. By the way, there's a good boast. So there's a good way to brag. Uh, You can be proud in the right way. And what is that? It's bragging in the Lord, (laughs) boasting about what God has done, proud of the work of God the Father in you and in your life and in your kids and in your job or whatever it might be. And specifically, he said, what I boast about is your steadfastness, your faith in the midst of persecutions, your endurance through afflictions. He didn't have to use the word hope. But that's what it's all about here. Why are they steadfast? Why are they enduring? How can they have this faith in the midst of persecutions? Because of their hope. Persevere as you grow in hard times. Uh, Imagine life in Thessalonica. Imagine you're a young Christian. And I'll just use it from a male perspective. You're a young Christian. You've got a young family uh, you, grow up, you grew up in Thessalonica. You grew up do, worshiping the pagan gods. You know, whether you really believe in them or not by the first century is kind of irrelevant. You just kind of do what you do. Uh, you enjoy the festivities, the partying, the food. A lot of sexual uh, immorality happens, cult prostitutes and so forth. And all of a sudden, this crazy Jewish guy named Paul shows up and starts talking about a man you've never heard of named Jesus <laughs> and says, there's only one God and he is bringing judgment and justice upon sin, but he's provided a savior and a way out. He's provided his own son in the flesh, Jesus. And you sense the Holy Spirit, you sense the work of God convicting you of your own sin and your need of a savior, and you believe. You turn your life over to Jesus, and you're so grateful to know you're not the only one. There's a small group of other Christians, and you guys to start to meet together. You join a church, and you find it to be life altering, life-changing, life-giving. But that also means you're no longer hanging out with the same crowd. You're no longer going to the pagan practices and worshiping 
Zeus and Apollos and all these other things. You're no longer going to the group sacrifices and feasting together on goats and sheep with everyone else. You're no longer visiting the cult prostitutes. You're kind of an outsider now. All your friends kind of look down on you and say, what a weirdo. (laughs) What happened to, we'll call him Titus. He doesn't fit in with us anymore. More than that, he doesn't engage in offering incense to the emperor, which is kind of required. So he doesn't seem to be very pro-Rome or pro-our country. There's a little treason going on there. And by the way, the, the Jewish people in town, in the synagogue, they hate these people. These Christians, they see them as some weirdo cult. Uh, they're no good. Uh, they, they, that's what they would say as well. You've lost your friends. You've been ostracized. The Jewish synagogue hates you guys and mocks you guys in front of everyone. And some even begin to take physical force action against you. Whether that's throwing stuff at you or doing stuff to your home, you no longer fit in. But at the same time, you're feeling, you're sensing life that you've never had before. That's what's going on in these young Christians. And what does Paul and this missionary team, who love them more than anything, have to say? persevere. Persevere. Keep going. Uh, I'm bragging about you guys to all the other churches. So there's other churches that are new um, and they're still immature, spiritual babies, like the church in Corinth, for example. But you guys were thrown straight into the fire and you're growing up fast. Now persevere. And we can know that's that's how anyone grows. How, How do you grow? You grow through endurance. You grow through facing trials and hard times. Um, what do you do when someone wants to, when someone joins the military? You send them to boot camp. <laughs> you send them to basic training because now it's time to grow up. Now you have to get used to being away from your family, away from your comfortable bed, uh, having somebody yell at you all day, running all day long, and so forth and so on. You're, you're growing through perseverance. If you want to be an athlete, or you just want to get in shape, what do you do? You've got to go to the gym. Right? Or get on the treadmill. You're, you're, in, you're learning endurance. All right, I've got I to gotta use a Tom Brady illustration, right? Because it's the Super Bowl today. Do you think Tom Brady's greatness comes from playing football for three hours a week? <laughs> uh, actually, an hour and a half, because he's only on the field for half the time, right? No, he's constantly training, enduring, doing laps, doing, doing runs, doing uh, drills, studying tape, constant training. That's how you grow Immature. I'll use a different illustration. I'll go back to the military. Uh, I love the Navy SEALs. You guys know I probably use too many illustrations from them. Uh, but the SEALs are a great it, it, sort of inspiration for endurance, right? And I noticed this about the SEALs. They tend to live off of mottos. You know, there's a little, little nuggets of truth that they sort of stick to, right? And here's 10 of them, just real quick. Um, the only easy day was yesterday. It's a good one, right? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's a good one. Uh, all in, all the time. Uh, discipline equals freedom. There's wisdom in that. Nothing lasts forever, meaning particularly the suffering, the difficulty you're going through, right? Uh, you don't have to like it, you just have to do it. That's a good one. Pain is weakness leaving the body. <laughs> uh, you sink to the level of your training. Uh, be your best in the darkest moments. Never, the last one, never quit. Uh, that idea of endurance, 
What is he saying? What's his advice to these Thessalonian Christians going through a hard time in these earliest days? Press on. Be steadfast. Have faith in the midst of affliction. Endure it. You're in, you're in a marathon, not a sprint. This is cross country running here. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. You will fail. You're going to learn from your failures. You're going to get hurt, but keep going. That's how you grow. You've had a hard day. Keep going. You had a hard week. All right, keep going. You've had a hard month. You've had a hard childhood. Definitely as a pastor, you talk to people who've just had a rough childhood. You've had a hard life. Keep going. God is at work. You grow through it. You endure. Of course, that's not the whole picture. There's more to it than that. Verses 5 through 10, where he gets to the heart of his letter here. Uh, have hope in hard times. The way we persevere, the, way, the reason why we can persevere, is because we have hope in the hard times. Um, the Christian hope. We talked about that a lot in 1 Thessalonians as well. He says, he begins this section, really by saying, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, which is kind of a tricky phrase. What is evidence of the righteous judgment of God? Uh, you know, if you say, well, it's their persecution. Well, that doesn't sound like evidence of the righteous judgment of God. It sounds like the opposite. It sounds like uh, unrighteousness, right? And what is evidence is their perseverance, that in the midst of the fact that they are being persecuted and ostracized, they are still walking with the Lord. Their endurance is what's evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that they are being shaped to become worthy of the kingdom. What their persecution has done there in Thessalonica has made clear who the world is and who the people of God are. Those who love the Lord and will suffer for him, those who hate God and will persecute those who follow him for no other motive than the fact that they're following the Lord. And he says here, he will repay with affliction those who afflict. A day will come of reckoning. And he will grant grant relief to those who are afflicted, meaning Christians. When? It gives us a time frame here. He says, when Jesus is revealed from heaven. So he puts the hope on the ultimate hope, the, the, the coming day of Jesus' return. And he talks about the two purposes of this return. Ultimately is to inflict vengeance, justice, on those who do not know God and who do not obey his gospel, who respond to the gospel by rejection, and to be glorified by his people, his saints. So we talked a lot about the second coming of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians. And uh, he gives us another picture here of it. So once again, in writing to the Thessalonians, he puts that focus on that coming day and reminds them of the Christian hope. In the first Thessalonians, the first letter, strong emphasis was really on what happens to Christians. That we're risen up to meet the Lord in the air and we're with him forever. Here he gives us sort of the flip side. As a reminder to those who are enduring great suffering of what's going to happen to the world at that point in time. So he says Jesus will come with his mighty angels. So we, that's sort of news uh, compared to 1 Thessalonians. He comes with his saints. We saw that with his people. As saints, by the way, refers to all Christians. It's never once used to refer to elite Christians. Uh, but he also comes with his angels. Uh, this, this event is so important to God 
that he empties heaven for it. Uh, All the hosts of angels come with Jesus on this day. Yes, the church triumphant, but the hosts of angels share in this return. He says he comes in a flaming fire. I think that's sort of a symbol of judgment as he talks about here. As good as this day is for us, this is a day of reckoning. And he describes here what eternal judgment is. It is destruction. Uh, And you can interpret that as you would. Eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Now we as Christians, we might say, you know, I have a hard time with that, Pastor Rick. I have a hard time thinking about God as a God of wrath and judgment. But the truth is, friends, if God is not a God of justice, and if God is God not of wrath, then he's not a God of justice. There is an answer for sin. Uh, Joseph Mengele, the Nazi doctor who experimented on kids and was never caught and lived out his days in exile, does not get away with it. Nor do you and me in our sin. Miroslav Volf, famous theologian, said this, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. If God is just, which is good, there are certain consequences to that. It means there is a day of reckoning for this world. But for those in Christ. See, we have to deal with our sin too. And here's how we deal with our sin. We say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, you are enough. There is a ransom for sin. And that day comes in which he comes in glory. The glory of might, and he is, comes, it says here, to be glorified and marveled at by his people. <laughs> I mean, we, there's some amazing sights in this world, right? I mean, I, last summer was, was a time during my sabbatical of seeing amazing sights. <laughs> so, yes, we saw the Grand Canyon, saw Yellowstone, Yosemite. One of my favorite things we saw were the giant sequoias. I got a picture of this here. So um, I, I was just in awe at looking at these trees. That's me in a tree. So, um, but uh, I, I was so in awe that my family, my, my, my wife and my kids were like, Dad, enough, enough, all right? These are trees. <laughs> but I just couldn't imagine these trees. They were, what a sight to see. The return of Jesus will be something for his people to marvel at and glorify him what's the point of writing this how do we endure hard times with hope with hope if hard times never ended that's hopelessness right i mean that's that's what despair is it's when you say this just there's no hope this this is never going to end it's just going to go on forever and ever friends that is ultimate despair that's why dante put as the sign over hell and his description of it abandon hope all ye who enter here it's the place of absolute despair uh, we, we always as christians have hope that's the beauty of the christian faith 
Now, it's not mentioned here, but again, there's hope before this final day as well. We, we go through seasons of life. So if you're enduring something difficult right now, uh, you can say, this is the season of life God has me in, but there's a time for everything under heaven. This is a dark valley, but there's a green pasture on the other end somewhere at some point in time. It may take weeks, may take months, may take longer. So there's, there's always hope in this world too on the next stage. But also, friends, uh, before this final day, there's another hope. And that is the day that we pass on from this world. Death is the great enemy. We don't have to want it to come sooner. Uh, But at the same time, we don't have to live in fear of it. When that day comes, we are free from sin and suffering. Just talked to someone, a sister this morning, who said, you know, I'm not afraid of the pandemic. Taking precaution, but I'm not afraid. Because what's it going to do? Kill me and put me with the Lord? That's the worst that it can do, right? There's, there's, there's the hope of our being apart from the body and present with the Lord. But let's not forget this hope that he mentions here, the ultimate hope of Christ's return. He will come back. And all of these hard times will be a mere memory. As I hope that this year we learn our lesson. We're not at the end of this pandemic. Lord willing, it's coming. But let's learn our lesson to keep our eyes on Jesus and on the ultimate hope of the Christian life of his return. Verses 11 through 12. How do we have hope in hard times? We persevere. Uh, We look at our ultimate hope and we pray. We pray that God is glorified. Paul says he prays towards this end. He prays. We, We pray for you, he's saying. Paul and his missionary team are praying. I'm sure they're praying like crazy. They go, they serve on the mission field, they see these new Christians, they know they're getting beaten up and hammered and battered by the Thessalonian pagans, the non-believers by that, the literally pagans, that's not a slander. They were people who worshiped the pagan gods. Um, So what is he doing? He's praying and praying and praying for them. And what is he praying for? Not simply that God would remove their suffering, but that he would make them worthy of their calling that they would endure. One of the things that stuck out to me when I was in uh, China, talking to some of the Christians there, one of the Christians said, we pray that God would not remove the persecution yet. Eventually, yes. But we are not yet mature enough for him to stop it. And our prayer is that it would continue for a little while longer. He prays that they would be made worthy in the midst of their suffering, worthy of the calling that they've received, and fulfilled for, for, with resolve for every good work. They would continue to seek and to serve the Lord. And as he says, by his power, which is what prayer is. Right? You're saying, I can't, if I could do this, I don't need to pray about it. Uh, that's why I'm praying. So because I can't do it, God, it's by your power. May this happen. May you endure. God will help us endure and stay on mission and have hope. And that the name of Jesus then would be glorified in you and you in him according to his grace. All the glory goes to him. I talk a lot about prayer, but I'm going to talk some more about it because it's so good. Prayer is awesome. If we didn't have it, imagine that, I said this in the Bible study last night too, but imagine you're only allowed to pray. This is God, you know, let's say there's a verse in the Bible that says you're only allowed to pray one hour a year. Let's say it's in the middle of the year. It's July 1st at noontime, okay? 
uh, and Christians, for that one hour, you get to talk to God. You can talk to him about anything you want. How much would we value that one hour? <laughs> right? All year long, we would say, the big hour is coming. We get to spend some time with the Lord. I could talk to him about anything. I could know with confidence that he hears me and that he loves to answer prayer. Uh, we, would, we would look at that hour like it's, the, it's better than Christmas. Right? It's the most important thing we can imagine. And yet, the fact that we have access 24-7, 365, makes it no less valuable. Prayer is us going to God, depending upon him, saying, I can't, but you can. We get to speak to the one who spoke the universe into existence. As Spurgeon said, we hold the hand of him who holds the universe. You could literally, this afternoon, talk to him. Ask him for anything. Doesn't mean he's going to give you whatever you ask for. It doesn't work like that. It's a relationship. But in him, we have forgiveness. He transforms our lives and fills us with hope. You know, when you think about prayer, this is how I hope, and, and probably prayer has worked in your life. Just, just to show you how much the Christian life is soaked in prayer. My guess is, if we, before you became a Christian, people prayed for you. Either that's your parents, maybe when you were very young, uh, maybe grandparents prayed for you, maybe friends, maybe a church family was praying for you, you were an unbelieving spouse and everybody was praying that you would come to faith, but, but people were spending time on their knees with the Lord asking that he would bring you to faith. And then the day came, if you're a Christian, in which you received the Lord Jesus. How did you do that? You prayed. <laughs> you went to him and said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, I need a savior. Prayer was the means, uh, not, the, the, not what earned it, but it was the means by which you began that relationship with God. And after that, you began to relate to God as Father, as Abba, and began a relationship of prayer from that point forward. Probably up and down, like most Christians. But you draw, draw closer to God intimately, relationally speaking, through prayer. It's by prayer you confess your sins to God. And recognize your brokenness and seek restoration. It's by prayer you thank God when things are going well. It's by prayer you sense his presence and you worship him. It's in prayer that in the valley you cry out to God and say, Help, Lord. And watch his answers to prayer. And Lord willing, you'll look back on your life. Anyone that's been a Christian for any length of time here can say, look back and say, Look how God has answered prayer here and here and here and here. And we look back and say, Lord, thank you so much for not giving me what I prayed for here and here and here and here. I can certainly look back and say, Lord, thank you for not giving me that stupid request. <laughs> that was not a good thing to ask for, and I am so grateful you didn't give me what I, what I had asked for at that time. Your good and perfect will was better than my limited understanding. We should have hope in hard times. How do we do that? We persevere. We have ultimate hope and we pray. It's very possible that churches and pastors, particularly in the United States, did not prepare their people well for this pandemic. And maybe that's why we see a lot of folks who leave churches. 
Maybe churches gave the impression that the Christian life is really all about peaches and cream. It's, it's, it's all about entertainment and fun. It's the consumer mentality, right? What do I get out of this? It's really about me. That's what it's about. It's, it's one of the smorgasbord of options out there. Find a good church that has some good stuff for you and you get something out of it. And if it doesn't offer that, then don't worry about it anymore. When the truth of the matter is, the church and really the Christian faith is far, far better than that. It's not this shallow thing that can't last through a bad day or a bad season or a bad year. Throughout history, Christians have endured through pandemics and wars and recessions. They faced ostracization and beatings and beheadings. And it said, Jesus is enough. What do we do when we face hard times? We keep persevering. But we do so with hope. And not ultimate hope, especially. And we pray that not only would we grow, that God would be glorified in the midst of it. Pray with me. Gracious Father, I, uh, we are we're so grateful for hope. So grateful for hope, Lord. To, to face this life with no ultimate hope of redemption. Well, with no ultimate hope of a broken world fixed. Of justice, real and true. Not temporary justice that so often fails us. But real and true and ultimate justice, Lord would be hopeless. But thank you so much, Lord, that we are awaiting a day that we will marvel at the very sight of Jesus. Until that day, Lord, keep us focused on the mission you've given us. Keep us persevering. For anyone here who's just having, or watching online, that's just having a really hard time. And I've spoken to so many folks who are. Whether that's because of a sickness or just feeling down and depressed and just worn tired of this pandemic, Lord. Renew them. Encourage them. Fill them again with hope. A temporary hope, yes, of of a season of life that seems to be passing. But also, Lord, and most importantly, of our ultimate hope of a king come from heaven who will fix all that is wrong with this world. And as you fill us with that hope, Lord, keep us persevering, keep us praying, keep us growing, and may you be glorified in all of this. We ask in Christ's name, our Lord. Amen.